When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back into Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Mike McDaniel. We have another great preview here for you today with a new guest. David Cunningham, managing editor of TechSideline.com, joins the podcast to help us break down Brent Pry in year one at Virginia Tech. This is obviously a podcast I'm very excited about as a Virginia Tech alum. Interested to see what the Hokies do here in year one of a new regime. Justin Fuente out, Brent Pry in. What's the ceiling for this team? What's the floor? Can the Hokies make a bowl game in year one with a decimated roster? That is a major question that I have for David here on this podcast today. Certainly some talent for Virginia Tech on the offensive side and the defensive side with their starters. Depth is an issue in some certain position groups, so we get into that. But before I get into my interview with David, we're going to have Joey drop his, uh, his take on Virginia Tech in 2022. If you're a Hokies fan, I have a feeling you may disagree with what Joey has to say with his uh, record prediction for Virginia Tech here in 2022. I certainly disagree with it. So I'm interested to uh, to hear what the listeners think. But without further ado, here is Joey with his record prediction for Virginia Tech in 2022, followed by my interview with David Cunningham. Let's start with the good news here. I like the Brent Pry hire a lot at Virginia Tech. I think it is going to work. I am I'm largely not a huge fan of Power Five teams, and I've talked about this on the, on the podcast before. I, I'm not a fan of Power Five teams hiring guys to be head coaches who have not previously been a head coach, uh, especially at the like the G5 level. Uh, I, th- these are largely big time jobs that I prefer. Somebody comes in having run a program before for a few years, getting some experience doing that, but. That being put aside, I do like the Brent Pry hire. Um, he's a guy who has been on the James Franklin staffs between Vanderbilt and Penn State for a long time. That's a, a, a really good coaching tree, I think, to come off of. Uh, he's been a part of some really successful programs. I mean, even going back to Vanderbilt, those were some of the best years of Vanderbilt football were under James Franklin a number of years ago. And so I think him being there for that, seeing it all up close, I think that serves him well. Um, and similar to you know Tony Elliott coming from, from Clemson, I think that's really good experience to have, obviously, being on a, a national championship program. So I just figure I'll throw that in there for the Virginia fans listening. The good news is I really like the Brent Pry hire. I think it's going to work. Uh, I like the staff that he's hired in a lot of ways. Um, I, I think this is a, a good thing that is going to work for Virginia Tech in the long run. Here's the bad news, and do not. I, Mike is probably about to tell you how they're probably going to go about eight and four. Uh, they, you know, the schedule sets up really well for them and all this stuff. No, uh, listen to me right now. This is not going to be a good year for Virginia Tech. 
this roster is in horrendous shape uh, right now, and that is not Brent Price's fault. That is Justin Fuente's fault, and that staff has done a horrific job of recruiting and developing and maintaining talent on that roster. This is a bad situation right now, roster-wise. It is going to take a year or two for Brent Pry and that staff to rebuild this situation into a more Virginia Tech-looking roster. Uh, the quarterback situation is bad. The offense already was pretty bad. It, it just... I have very little faith in this roster to accomplish a whole lot. This is going to be probably like a 4-8 and eight team this year, I think. They are going to have a rough time uh, in, in a lot of these games, I think. The schedule is not, not horrible. Um, at Old Dominion, you, <laughs> that would be a horrible way to start your tenure. Don't lose that game, Brent. Uh, Boston College at home, Wofford, West Virginia both at home. I mean, Wofford's a layup. West Virginia's losable. Boston College is losable. Uh, at North Carolina, at Pittsburgh, like Miami, at NC State. I, I, I don't know. Like, th- there's not a lot of these games that I look at and I'm like, oh, yeah, like 2022 Virginia Tech is definitely going to win that game. So I think this is a rough year. I think this roster is in bad shape for now. I don't think that will be the case forever. And I think this is going to work out long term. Uh, Brent Pry, a guy who's very familiar with the, the general region that we're talking about, and I think will we'll relate well. He's going to continue recruiting well there. And uh, I think he's a bit of a better fit for Virginia Tech than Justin Fuente was, and I think this will work out. But for now, I I do not like Virginia Tech for 2022. I think the Hokies are going to go about 4-8, going to be a rough year, a little bit of a year zero situation, maybe not completely, but a little bit. And, uh, you know, let's revisit this here in 23, especially in 24, and I, I think it'll be a better situation for Virginia Tech. But either way, hey, go Hokies. Let's take a quick break to remind you about Section103.com. It is the Internet's premier place for buying all sorts of great officially licensed Georgia Tech apparel. They have got all sorts of great T-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies. Uh, They've got stickers now. They've got something for the whole family, men, women, children, everything. Go check them out. Once again, it's Section103.com. You're looking for shirts that are in the official Tech Gold. You're looking for shirts with the ATL logo on them. You're looking for other officially licensed things. Those things are hard to find in a lot of places for some reason. I don't know why. You can find them all on section103.com. Again, go, go there, check them out. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. And, and again, they have some stickers that have just come out. Those, those are really cool. Everything is really high quality that I've gotten from them. Uh, I've gotten some of the performance shirts. I've got one of the hoodies. Um, everything I've got there is, is great, and it really goes great on a Saturday afternoon supporting the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets at Bobby Dodd Stadium or anywhere else. You're in the Thriller Dome. You're at uh, McCamish Stadium. You're at uh, the Rusty Sea. You are going to a volleyball game. You need something to support Georgia Tech. Go to section103.com. They have great products. They are all officially licensed. Got those official word marks, the official colors, everything. Everything you could ask for, you can go find it all there. Once again, use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order when you do go. Appreciate Steven and the gang for their partnership with Basketball Conference. We look forward to another great football season partnering with them. And now let's get back to it. All right. As I mentioned, first time guests on Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast, David Cunningham, managing editor of Tech Sideline, beat writer for Virginia Tech. If you need Hokies news and you're not following David, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. David, what's going on, man? Welcome to the show. How's it going, man? Great to be with you. We are we're, what recording this last week of fall camp. Football season's right around the corner. We've got week zero games this week, so I know. I, I'm excited. 
it's 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 officially college football season um yeah week zero this weekend coming up we're less than two weeks from virginia tech football all the listeners know i am a virginia tech alum as is david and again if you're not following david on, on twitter i don't know i don't know what to tell you um david tell us a little bit about yourself i mean obviously all the virginia tech fans listening know who you are but for the rest of our listeners uh, give us a little bit more of your background since you're a first-time guest on this podcast yeah so i uh i am 23 i grew up in newport news virginia um my parents were went to virginia tech i grew up a virginia tech fan um I decided to go to Virginia Tech, join Bill Ross Sports Media Analytics Program when it was in its infancy, um, helped create a lot of really cool things there. Um, and when I was at Virginia Tech as a student, I kind of just branched out and did as much as I could. I worked for a student radio station and I worked for a couple different websites. Um, when I graduated, I joined Tech Sideline. So this is the start of my second year. I graduated in 2021. Um, and yeah, so I essentially, I've only been covering Virginia Tech full time for about a, a little bit over a year, but I've been covering Virginia Tech totally, you know, along with me being a student for about four or five, maybe even six years now. So um, it, it's been, it's been really fun. And it's, it, this is a bit, bit interesting um, because it's Brent Price first season. So it's, you know, new head coach so many questions, so many firsts. Um, so, so this has been an interesting spring and fall camp, but um, I'm excited for the, the season and uh, it should be interesting. It should be a lot, a lot more fun and pretty entertaining. David, I know you're only 23 and a lot of our listeners are gonna be like, wow, he's young. How is he a managing editor of a major publication? Uh, Tech Sideline's been around for two decades. If David didn't know what he was talking about, he wouldn't be the managing editor of that website. So he's uh, he is a good guest to have on to talk about Virginia Tech. So let's get into it. Brent Pry, year one, the Justin Fuente era for the better part of the last three to four years had been, I'd say rocky would be a nice way to put it. There were some ups, there were a lot of downs, um, peaks and valleys, poor recruiting, then a little bit better recruiting towards the end, just really uneven, inconsistent play on the field and very inconsistent on the recruiting trail. Brent Pry is now inheriting a program, David, that I think has, has some talent from a starting perspective on both sides of the football. But there's a lot of concerns about depth at some key positions. And I think that Fuente inherited a really talented team in 2016 from Beamer that had both talent and depth. This team, it feels like, has some talent at some positions, not as much proven talent anyway at other positions, and a lack of depth, which makes you know Brent Price's first year a little bit precarious, I would say. Yeah, well, look at the, the team Fuente inherited for a second. Um, at wide receiver, there was Isaiah Ford, Cam Phillips, and Bucky Hodges, um, three guys who you could just, you know, chuck the ball downfield and, and hope they jumped up and, and caught it. And a lot of times they did. Defensively, I mean, they had Tremaine and Terrell Edmonds, along with guys like Chuck Clark, um, Wyatt Teller. I mean, Virginia Tech in 2016, 2017 even, that – Fronte inherited so much good talent from Beamer and it wasn't really hard for him to develop those guys because they were very hard 
you know, hard-nosed guys who, who wanted to be developed, who wanted to go play at the next level. And you've seen that because a lot of them have. With Brent Pry, it's going to be really interesting because he, like you said, Mike, he inherits a, a squad where across the, the starting 22, they are pretty talented and they could compete with most teams in the ACC. But it's, you know, like you have good depth at, I don't know, tight end where you have Drake Julius and Connor Blumrick, two guys who have been around, you know, and uh, Nick Gallo, three guys who have been around the program for a couple of years. Um, Julius has been here since 2017. So, um, you know, there's some depth there, but then you look, look next to them at offensive line and you've essentially got five guys who, uh, four guys who have started games before Jesse Hansen has, has played some, and those are your starting five. And then behind them, you have nobody who's taken a collegiate snap. So the depth there is a little bit risky. You know, defensively, I think, like, the depth, Brent Pride praises at media day, the, the depth at, on the defensive line is pretty good. Um, you know, but at linebacker, we've already seen, you know, some, some injuries here or there. Um, at linebacker, Kelly Lawson um, is going to be out for a week or two, um, and he's the Sam linebacker, which is a new position this year. So, you know, we've already seen what injuries can do. Malachi Thomas is, is week to week. Jalen Holston didn't practice. So at, at practice um, on Friday, Virginia Tech was down to four scholarship running backs. And yes, Jalen Holston's going to be fine. And Malachi Thomas will come back eventually. But when you are that thin on depth and there are injuries, it's going to make it a really long season if things don't go your way. So I think it is a promising season, but it all depends on the little things, the little things meaning turnovers and really injuries. You know, if you get Parker Clement or Silas Janzi, one of your two offensive tackles gets injured, you are going to be in a, for a rough season. But I do think there's a lot of hope just because there are a lot of veterans in this program, guys who have stuck around for a long time and, um, you know, again, across the board, this is a, an okay, above, you know, average, a little, maybe a little bit above average Virginia Tech starting 22. And they've got young talent. But the biggest thing in the Justin Fuente era was that didn't matter who they recruited, the Hokies couldn't develop anybody. And you're seeing that this year, you know, where the staff has to kind of come in and chatting with players and coaches. They've received better development this year you know, since getting here in the winter and the spring than they did, you know, in their time under the RAS regime. So I think it's kind of an interesting way to look at it. Um, you know, there is room for success this year, but there isn't, you know, the, the margins are going to be very, very fine. Yeah, I mean, you talk about the depth at, you know, on the defensive line. There's certainly, I think Virginia Tech's strong in the interior and defensive end. I think there's certainly some talent, but the other part of it is, you know, once you have a couple key injuries, it's the proven depth where I think there's there's a lot of questions at at least some of the positions. Now, the Brent Pry defense at Penn State, you know, nationally, annually, top 25 unit, very good defenses, right? I think a lot of people expect Virginia Tech, given the defense that they have returning, the guys in the secondary, you mentioned the, the proven linebacking core. I think a lot of people expect Virginia Tech's defense to be quite good. 
Um, but where do you think the biggest areas of concern are for Brent Pry and first year defensive coordinator Chris Marv, who, you know, while outsiders might say, oh, yeah, well, Marv's the first year defensive coordinator, that's a question in and of itself. It does sound like Brent Pry is going to have a pretty heavy hand on the defense, at least in year one. Yeah, well, Brent Pry has kind of said that for the most part, he's going to call plays this year. And I would expect him, you know, maybe, maybe Tech has Wofford in, in week three. Maybe you let Chris Marv call some plays in the second half there when you hope the game is out of hand. Um, but I think in general, you know, Brent Pry just kind of wants to, to set the tempo and set the tone. And Chris Marv's never called plays before. Um, biggest area for concern um, defensively, I would say there are kind of two. One is the linebackers because Alan Tisdale has kind of fallen off a lot. And it's been surprising for anybody who has covered this program for a couple of years now. Alan Tisdale, Alan Tisdale and Dax Hollyfield were, were the two staples at linebacker, you know, along with a guy like Rayshard Ashby for the last couple of years. Dax Hollyfield is going to be Tech's guy at, at Mike linebacker, but at will, um, Alan Tisdale's been surpassed by Jaden Keller. Now I will say Jaden Keller is a is a beast and he's, he's gonna be yeah. he, he's gonna be a really good player, but but I do think building up that depth is going to be interesting. And then Sam linebacker. Um I'm very curious to see how that looks because it's three guys in a new position where as as Sam linebacker Sean Quinn described it, you have to play in a a phone telephone booth because it's like you have to be part Superman. Um, just because, you know, that's the, the wide side of the field and they're, they're covering so much ground um, and essentially have to be both, both a linebacker and, um, and a defensive back at the same time. They have to be able to cover, they have to be able to blitz. It's Keely Lawson uh, or Kelly Lawson who's, you know, out for maybe a week or two. Um, Keonta Jenkins and J.R. Walker. So I'm interested to kind of see how that role shapes out and if, if that is exactly – what the, if they get what they want in this first year of new position? My other concern is is how much depth is there uh, at at corner? Um, you know, you've got Armani Chapman, you've got Dorian Strong, who, you know, everybody's raved about Dorian Strong all camp, and he's going to be he's a really really good corner. Him and Armani Chapman are pretty good. You know, how good is has, how good is Breon Murray? You know, okay, maybe that's three good corners. DJ Harvey coming along, okay. Maybe he's a fourth good corner, but how many corners are those four guys you can put out on the field and trust in any situation? It's going to be really interesting to see if any other guys, young guys, get developed to that point where where they feel confident. And, you know, I think just in general, like we said earlier, there are a lot of positions across the defense, but across the offense too, where there are experienced guys Armani Chapman, Dorian Strong, they're at corner, but behind them, it kind of falls off. DJ, DJ Harvey has never really played in super important snaps before. Um, he's played, but not, you know, in, in a, you know, it, you're, it's a, it's a third down against North Carolina, you know, at Keenan, Keenan Memorial stadium, you know, he's never really played a snap like that. So it, it's going to be interesting just to see how that depth at linebacker and defensive back are both kind of built, but I think the Hokies at safety and at, on the defensive line, they're kind of, they're in pretty good hands. I want to ask you a little bit more about Sam linebacker because you've been at practice. You've seen at least, you know, some drills enough to know who's in the mix and, and how tech 
you know, looks to envision the Sam linebacker role, strong side of the field, a guy who can cover a lot of ground, like you mentioned. Do you envision this like, a, and I think a lot of um, fans and, and even listeners um, of this podcast who aren't Virginia Tech fans will remember Mook Reynolds, you know, back, back in the day, very athletic DB, but could play in the, in the box. He was playing in the whip position, the old defense. Is that how you kind of envision this role playing out at Sam linebacker? Do you think it's going to be a little bit different than that? How do you envision Brent Pry will use that position? Yeah, I think it's going to be a little bit different, but it is very similar to, you know, the whip that Bud Foster used. Because remember, Brent Pry bases a lot of his defense. It's not the exact same, but I would say it's a more advanced style defense um, from his, you know, who he learned it from, which is Bud Foster. You know, he was a GA under Bud Foster back in the 90s, and he learned a lot of things. And he kind of started using that defensive scheme, and that's what he uses now. So it's going to be very familiar for Virginia Tech fans. Um, but just in general, you know, the same linebacker, it's, I think it's going to be a position where Brent Pry wants more of a linebacker type player in there. Somebody who is very, very athletic, like you might, uh, you might even see a guy, um, you know, a guy where he's got a linebacker build, but he's that athletic enough to be able to both blitz and cover. I, I think a lot of the guys in, in that whip position under Bud Foster, it was more defensive back friendly and it was more 5'11", 6'1", guys. You want to get a big body in there, somebody who is a freak athlete who can, you know, cover all this ground, but he also isn't going to get completely exposed when he drops back in coverage. And I I think it's going to be really interesting just to watch those guys on the field this year. Um, Kelly Lawson is a phenomenal athlete. Um, he's about six, four, six, five. He's huge. And I think he and Keonta Jenkins are kind of battling for that, that, that starting spot at Sam linebacker. Now, obviously Lawson's injured right now, so we'll see what happens, but, um, but putting him out there in the defense or, or if it's Keonta Jenkins, you know, those are guys that played, whether it was in high school or even at Virginia tech, they played defensive back, they played corner. So they have that aspect to them. But just how, you know, stopping the run, you know, blitzing, those kind of aspects. I'm interested to kind of see how those translate, how quickly they can learn those, especially in game time situations. Because I've never played linebacker before, but but the way that Brent Pry and Chris Marv and Sean Quinn have described that position, it is the one of the hardest to learn just because you have to do so much. And so I think that's kind of the, the vision for that position is they want to get a, a linebacker type guy who is athletic enough that he can do all of that. He can meet all the physical demands. I remember uh, in, in 2020 when Kelly Lawson committed to Virginia Tech, I caught, I caught hell on social media, which it happens, David, to me. It happens to me. But I caught hell on social media because I remember when Lawson committed to Virginia Tech, he had a lot of Isaiah Simmons in his game from Clemson. Isaiah Simmons, All-American player at Clemson. I'm not yeah. saying Kelly Lawson. Now, now with the Cardinals, right? Right, now with the Cardinals. All-American yeah. player at Clemson. Now he's he's a starter for the Arizona Cardinals. Really outstanding freak athlete. But Lawson had a lot of that playing style with him from you know what he looked like on film in high school. 
I can't think of a better role for him on a defense than the one you're seeing here with the Sam linebacker role. Everybody, and, and I see these preview magazines. I read all these preview magazines, David. They're calling Kelly Lawson a converted wide receiver. But if anybody actually followed Kelly Lawson's recruitment, they know that he, he, was he played defensive back in, in high school. DB. That's, that's, I mean, that's what everybody was recruiting him as. And he ends up at Virginia Tech, and the old staff says, oh, we're going to stick here at receiver. Never really made a lot of sense. Now he's kind of in this role, I think, the perfect role for him at Sam linebacker can't imagine a better position for him to be in now coming into his second year with the program. Yeah. When I chatted with him at, at Virginia Tech's media day about two weeks ago, and he, he, one, he's, he's such a, as most of those guys are so, so down to earth, such a really nice guy, but he said the transition for him wasn't really hard at all. You know, he, he had played again, he had played defensive back in high school. He was used to it. He kind of just had to, to flip the mindset in college and, I think the biggest change for him was in the weight room, you know, putting on regressing weight, you know, put getting the, his body to where a Sam linebackers body should be. Um, but, but he's a very talented guy. And I, I don't know if you're going to, you're going to see him. You probably won't see him being his peak form in year one as a Sam linebacker, but th this is a guy who is going to be in the program for a couple more years. And between him and Keonta Jenkins, too, I don't want to want to shy away from him because he was a talented safety um, over the past couple of years. I, I think Virginia Tech is in good hands at that position. They've got a lot of talent. It just all comes down to how quickly can, can those guys develop. And I think the most curious part to me is going to be if we look back at this season when we're three years down the road and Virginia Tech has a completely different Sam linebacker because it's a guy that Brent probably will have recruited at that point. How different is it? You know, what what stuff is are Brent Pry and Chris Marv not going to do in this defense or are there things because this this group of linebackers, this group of defensive backs, this group of defensive linemen, which I wouldn't expect anything different because it's a solid group of defensive linemen, but like specifically at linebacker, you know, Dax Hollyfield at Mike he's a he's fine when it comes to stopping the run but he's not great in coverage and we all know that Jaden Keller we haven't really seen enough but he's a freak athlete and I think he should you know we, he should be a pretty good player well what happens at Sam linebacker I'm curious to see how Brent Pry and Chris Marv kind of adjust their scheme maybe and how their scheme is going to be different in year one versus year three or four based on the capabilities of the guys they have in the program because they're going to be recruiting guys and they already have, you know, gotten commits from, from some linebackers that are probably going to be able to play a, a Sam linebacker role or a different linebacker role than, um, th than the guys that what we're seeing now, maybe a little bit different build. So I think how it's going, how the adjustments are going to be made over the next couple of years and just how, you know, a guy like Kelly Lawson, who he's never taken a snap on the defensive side of the ball in the division one game, how does he adjust? You know, what, what are, I, I don't know what the expectations are necessarily there, but I do think Virginia Tech has a lot of talent. It's just kind of, can you get those guys ready to go play? Yeah, there will, I think there will definitely be a stark difference or if not a stark difference, at least a subtle difference between fitting someone else's personnel into your scheme and fitting your own personnel to your scheme, which is what Brent Pry and his staff will be able to do, you know, as they, as they recruit their own players. Let's talk about quarterback. Let's go over to the offense because I think everybody listening to this podcast, fans of other schools, Virginia Tech fans even, they want to know 
what Virginia Tech's going to be getting out of the quarterback position with Grant Wells just recently been named the starter, Jason Brown sitting behind him as the backup. I wrote this in a, in a few articles when I was writing for Sons of Saturday that the way that the quarterback position was handled last year is the way you handle it if you want to get yourself fired, right? And now I think Virginia Tech's in a much better position uh, with not only their starting quarterback, but with their depth as well, right? Braxton Burmeister gone, Knox Tatum gone. Virginia Tech's in a better position now as, as two guys transfer into the program with playable experience, um, not only at the Power 5 level with Jason Brown, but the Group of 5 level at Marshall with Grant Wells, who was just named the starter. So how should Virginia Tech fans feel and how should other, fans of other schools feel about Virginia Tech at the quarterback position when they face the Hokies this year? Yeah, well, here, here's here's what I will say to, to put it in perspective. So so Grant Wells, he was a two-year starter at Marshall. And th- these were his stats from last year. He completed 295 passes, which would be a Virginia Tech record if it happened in Blacksburg. He threw 445 passes, which would be a Virginia Tech record if it had it happened in Blacksburg. Now, I don't know if I would expect him to throw that many passes this year, but uh, it all dep- kind of depends on, on the way the season goes. He threw for 3,532 yards, which is 14 yards shy of the all-time Virginia Tech passing record. Um, he threw 16 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, and he scored seven touchdowns on the ground. He's a very talented guy, um, and I think it is so interesting because we've, we have not seen, as you were just kind of alluding to, We've not seen a, a Virginia Tech quarterback start for two seasons in a row completely the entire two seasons since Logan Thomas. Unbelievable. It's been a decade. Michael Brewer would have done it had he not gotten injured, so we can give that to him. But in the Justin Fuente era, it, it went Gerard Evans, Josh Jackson, Ryan Willis, Hendon Hooker, Braxton Burmeister, with a little bit of Quincy Patterson thrown in there. You know, Josh Jackson and Brack, Josh Jackson, Braxton Burmeister, maybe Hendon Hooker did it, but but it was rare that a guy even started the entire season. There, there, there was just so much talent left on the field that, that was not used. And that's not what you're getting with Grant Wells. You know exactly what you're getting. This is a guy who, who let, let me read you this quote from uh, quarterbacks coach Brad Glenn, uh, this past week he said uh, the first thing I think about when when uh, I think about Grant is just his accuracy he's got incredible accuracy Uh, he might be the most accurate quarterback I've ever coached and then he said he has a great sense of pocket movement um, and that his number one asset is his deep ball accuracy and it's nothing that that uh, that Brad Glenn has taught him it's just all stuff that he inherited, you know, he, he had done at Marshall. So this is going to be, and again, how Virginia Tech's offense and Tyler Bowen, offense coordinator, how they kind of approach the season. It's going to be interesting. Kind of kind of depends on who you have. You know, if Malachi Thomas is, is available, you're going to run the ball a little bit more. Um, but the one thing, you know, as long as Grant Wells and his, you know, and his weapons are healthy, they're going to air the ball out a lot. He's got some solid tight ends. Um, Caleb Smith at wide receiver is is going to have a breakout year. I think he's going to have a really good year. But Grant Wells is a guy who has really taken – he said he's taken a lot of strides here just because um, Brad Glenn 
who, and you don't see this very often anymore. Brad Glenn's the quarterback's coach, but he's not the offensive coordinator. Um, having an offensive coordinator who is not the quarterback's coach chatting with Grant, he said it's the first time it's ever happened since he started playing football. And it it's much different because you have a hands-on coach who can constantly talk about stuff with you and doesn't have to worry about the entire offense. So Grant is, he's going to be a guy who can air the ball out deep, but he also, I think he is taking a step in his understanding progressions and understanding reads and stuff. And he also said he's got better at not forcing it. That was the big thing. And he threw 13 interceptions last year at Marshall. That's something he wants to clean up. And he even admitted that, um, you know, and Brad Glenn said he's been pleased with everything he's seen in terms of, throwing interceptions or not throwing interceptions and taking care of the ball. So I think you're going to get a little bit more of a game manager, a little bit more than a game manager. You know, he's, he's a guy that can manage the game, but he's an aggressive guy who's going to take shots. And I think that's probably music to a lot of people's ears. You know, you're going to have a quarterback who, who has that deep arm capability. I would, he's kind of like a Ryan Willis type, you know, subtly mobile, but has a huge arm. Um, you know, I think he he probably understands the game better than than Willis did. Um, and, and he's got three years of eligibility. He's got two years in a COVID year. Um, so he could potentially be Virginia Tech's starting quarterback for a couple of years, which is a positive for any Virginia Tech fans listening, because it means something that Hokies haven't had in a long time, quarterback stability. Yeah, I mean, quarterback stability was one of many things that doomed the Fuente era, right? I mean, once Josh Jackson went down, it really felt like middle of that 2017 season, all hell kind of broke loose from there on out. Or 2018, I'm sorry. Um, all hell kind of broke loose from there on out. It was like, okay, that's Jackson's second full year as a starting quarterback. Things should be things should be moving in a good direction. Obviously, we know how 2018 ended, and things have been up and down ever since. So I think having Grant Wells for multiple years is music to a lot of Virginia Tech fans' ears. I heard Chris Coleman on your Tech Sideline podcast make the comment about Grant Wells having the Ryan Willis arm talent, which a lot of Virginia Tech fans would say, oh, no, not Ryan Willis. But, like, there was never a question about the arm talent of Ryan Willis. It was his, and I should add, his arm talent was good enough for him to be on the Chicago Bears roster last year. <laughs> right. Right. Like, it's not – yeah, it's not like his arm was the issue. It was the turnovers and the baffling decisions, and everybody will remember the the four turnovers against Boston College in the opener um, a few years back. So, you know, there was all that going on. But I think Virginia Tech is in a, definitely in a better place at quarterback for sure. Now let's talk about the receiving core real quick. So Caleb Smith, he's been a career number three, number four receiver and now he's kind of stepping into this lead role. He's one of the guys returning with, you know, serious playable experience. who's gotten a lot of meaningful snaps in his career. Now he's kind of seen as kind of the top dog in the unit. There's a transfer in Jaden Blue that's coming in um, that had a pretty nice career at Temple that I think Virginia Tech fans should be excited about. And then there's a bunch of young guys, a ton of young guys, Dewan Lofton, Jalen Jones, um, Stephen Gosnell transferring in from North Carolina, his brother Benji, of course, the, the tight end, the freshman tight end. So there is talent, but not a ton of it has been at least proven in meaningful snaps on the field. So how should Virginia Tech fans be feeling about the receiving core heading into year one with Pratt? This is, and this is the approach I, as a, as a media member who covers the program and kind of, I guess you could call me an evaluator a little bit. You know, I report 
report on what goes on on the field. This is kind of the approach I'm taking this year. A guy like running back Keyshawn King or a, a young guy like DeJuan Lofton in the wide receiver room, how much did the, you know, did something go wrong with the old staff? Is, is that the reason why they didn't get on the field? You know, I don't, I think we'll find that out once the first two games are played here in September, but you know, a guy like Keyshawn King, again, he has so much talent. He never saw the field because, you know, besides kickoff returns because of certain things here or there that I don't think many people really understand besides him and, and the old coaching staff and maybe his teammates. Um, it's kind of the same thing in, in the wide receiver room a little bit. Now a little, a lot younger guys, Dewan Lofton, Jalen Jones, Christian Moss. There is a core of young wide receivers there alongside, like you said, Stephen Gosnell, Jaden Blue, Caleb Smith. Um, the thing I'm most curious about is what young guys have developed. And I, I think that's kind of everybody's question um, when it comes to the wide receiver room. Um, I have heard all positive things, you know, chatting with Fontel Mines at Virginia Tech's Media Day, or even Tyler Bowen, you know, he and Brent Pry have, have kind of met, said that, you know, throughout fall camp that they've really seen a lot of strides, maybe the most strides out of any room at Virginia Tech taken by the wide receiver room. And, and I think that goes to just tell you how good of a coach Fontel Mines, the wide receiver coach is. Um, but I, we obviously know what Caleb Smith and Jaden Blue bring to the table. I think Virginia Tech is going to need one or two other guys to step up. I'm interested to see what happens with Dewan Lofton. I, I think he's a guy who he got some reps in that Miami game last year. He's gotten some catches under his belt, but he's never sat down and, and played, you know, all 90 staff, 90 offensive snaps in a game. You know, I'm curious to see what happens when you stick this Virginia Tech wide receiver core into a, a game situation, what guys can make plays. And I think there are a lot of unknowns, maybe there more than maybe the only other room would be the offensive line that has more questions because there's so much talent in this room but nobody's really touched the field. You know, Dewan Lofton has, Jalen Jones has once or twice, Christian Moss has once or twice, Stephen Gosnell has a couple times at North Carolina, but nothing that makes you go, wow, this guy can play. So I, I think, again, I think Caleb Smith is going to have to have a, you know, I think he will have, but I think he's going to have to have a, a pretty good year. And I'm curious to see what Jaden Blue provides. He was, a, you know, he, he had a season of th over 1,000 yard receiving at Temple. Can he put up those numbers again? Um, but I think in, in general, this is a, a unit who a lot of unproven talent. And I know there, there's probably going to be one or two guys that step up. We just don't know who they're going to be. And, and that, I think that's just kind of the way it's going gonna, it's gonna to go in this first season, especially when there are injuries and other guys have to step up across the board. What young guys do we not know about? Um, you know, and, and I think a wide receiver, Dewan Lofton's a guy who, who teammates, Silas Janzi, Dax Hollyfield, they've chatted about, you know, throughout fall camp. Yeah, this, this is a good guy who can, who can play. He's really talented. I'm interested to see how that translates to the field. There are a couple of guys I want to ask about in the receiving core specifically, and you mentioned one of them um, that I didn't bring up. You mentioned one that I'm really interested in, and then there's a second one that we haven't brought up at all yet. Number one, Christian Moss, 
because he's got intriguing size and, you know, hasn't played a ton. Is he seen as more of a depth piece or is he seen as a guy who you think can contribute right away? And then secondly, this kid's a true freshman. So, you know, I, I don't know how Virginia Tech's receiving room will pan out because there are so many young guys. But Tucker Holloway and his speed was unbelievable on his film in high school. I'm curious to see how Virginia Tech uses him, if they plan on using him this year, and kind of what he's looked like in camp so far. Yeah, Tucker Holloway has received a ton of praise from the coaching staff, and I think the only guy on the field that might be faster than him is Cole Beck, and and that's because he's Cole Beck. Another guy guy I was going to ask you about here in a bit. (laughs) Yeah, um, yeah, Tucker Holloway – I think it all comes down to how quickly he learns the offense. I mean, that's kind of the, the deal with any freshman, right? Um, but I think he's a talented guy who can really – no, I don't, I don't know what kind of what the depth chart looks in, in front of, of him. I think that's kind of the question. I'm not really sure that more so than any other position. I'm not really sure how the depth chart stacks up. You know it's going to be Caleb Smith and, and Jaden Blue, but where does Dewan Lofton fall into place? Where do Jalen Jones and Christian Moss, a guy you mentioned, fall into place? Um, uh, Christian Moss has been praised a lot throughout fall camp of a guy who has worked really, really hard to, to make a statement. And, you know, I think that group of redshirt freshmen, sophomores of – Jones, Lofton, Moss. I think those guys all are really talented, but again, none of them have really had an opportunity to play extended reps. So Old Dominion, September 2nd, what guys make plays? I think that's that's the answer to that question. Tucker Holloway, he's a guy who a lot of folks have raved about, but again, he's a true freshman. And how quickly he learns the playbook, how quickly he settles into college. I think those are, are the interesting questions to ask. But I do like his speed. He's going to be a guy who, if not now, he's going to create you know plenty of problems for opposing cornerbacks and safeties in, in the near future. And you know, if he doesn't, I could see them redshirting him this year if if they don't think he's going to have an extended role. Um, but he definitely will have, I would expect to have an impact next year and the rest of his Virginia Tech career if he doesn't get on the field this year. Running back room. Malachi Thomas, we've talked about a little bit, obviously was was pretty good um, when he saw the field later in the year last year. Jalen Holston, who has never really consistently contributed in a way that I think a lot of people expected him to uh, when he arrived on campus. He's been at Virginia Tech, what, five, six years now? A while. Though it feels like it's those two guys, and then Keyshawn King, who there have been a, a billion different rumors off the field. There's been the fumbling issues. They got him in the doghouse with Fuente and his staff, but the talent's there, and everybody knows it. Then there's a lot of other guy, younger guys behind them. Less, it's a smaller group than it was when Fry arrived, for sure, in the running back room. But there's still a lot of young guys behind those three mainstays, it feels like. And then there's the Cole Beck factor, which he's a graduate student at Virginia Tech now, basically just had an unbelievable track career at Tech, but he was the greatest running back in Blacksburg High School history. Um, and he's one of the, he's got world-class speed, and now he wants to play football uh, this year. I think it's unreasonable for Virginia Tech fans to expect that Cole Beck would have like this unbelievable impact just because he's extremely fast, but I think he'll factor in somewhere, whether it's the return game or maybe uh, 
you know, a home run threat in the receiving game. You just have them run a go route. What does this running back room look like? I, I mean, it does feel like it's those three guys at the top, right, depending on who's healthy and who's who's most consistent. Yeah, well, I'll answer the cold back question first since he's more of a wide receiver. I will I will answer it in one word, space. Cole, you, you, that's Virginia Tech's thing with Cole Beck, you know, it, and his hands have been good throughout fall camp. The coaches have liked what they've seen from him, but he's not a guy who you're going to throw, you're going to make a run a slant right across the middle and try to catch a, a pass against linebackers. That's just not going to happen. You're going to put him in the slider. You're going to put him out wide and, and, and just say, go, you know, and, and I'm interested to see what, what he, how he factors in, but Hey man, you know, if you're running jet sweeps to Cole Beck, that's just the way it's going to be. Uh, as far as running back go, yeah, it's as Stu Holt, the running backs coach, described it at media day. It's 1A and 1B with, with Thomas and Holston. They are the two best running backs in the room, but not the most explosive. And that's Keyshawn King. And, and every single time, you know, I ask about, I have asked Brent Pry or, or Tyler Bowen or Stu Holt about Keyshawn King. They just keep saying he's explosive, and he's he and Chance Block are going to be the kickoff returners, um, along with probably Coldback. Um, but I think Keyshawn King is a guy who they're going to try to get the ball in space this year too. I think he, and that's not something we've seen. He's been he's been again, as you said, a running back who has some things have happened in his tech career where he fumbled here and then got in the doghouse for a couple weeks, and that again. He's a guy who I mentioned earlier where it's how much did the previous staff impact his – negatively impact his development and basically say, okay, you made a mistake here. You're not going to be able to play. When he is a really talented player and the coaches have raved about him all fall. Um, as far as the other two guys, Holston and, and Thomas, are concerned, I think Thomas is going to be lead back if he's healthy right now doesn't look like he's going to be healthy. He was in a, uh, when, when Tech had photo day on Saturday, he was in a uh, boot on his left foot. Um, I don't, I, he, he's week to week as Brent Bry has said, uh, but he, Malachi Thomas is a, is a really explosive guy. He's only a true sophomore though. You know, he had two, he had three touchdowns last year in two games. He had back-to-back over hundred yard games but he didn't really touch the ball before then. And he didn't really touch the ball after then. So it, I'm, I'm curious mostly about Thomas to see, can he handle a workload of 15 to 20 carries a game? You know, he, he has put on more weight. Um, he, he said he's about 200, 202, I think when we last spoke with him a couple of weeks ago. Um, and that's the most weight he's ever played at. And he feels really comfortable there, but He's also battling a little bit of, of a knock right now on his left foot. So how that pans out, I'm not sure. Jalen Holston is, is kind of the interesting character in this, in this room because he's been around for so long. But the one thing the coaches have said about Holston is he is the most consistent worker in that running back room. So I think that's two, three running backs the Hokies have to feel pretty comf- comfortable about, confident about. Um, how, how they mix and match is going to be interesting. But Stu Holt has said this, if, if a guy, you know, is going off and having a game, you know, if he's a hot hand, you got to feed the hot hand. And Stu Holt said that um, as far as the other young guys in the running back room go, Chance Black, um, he's a guy who tech might get him the ball in space, but I feel like he, he's going to be more of a kickoff return guy, at least for now. 
Um, and behind them, Bryce Duke is a true freshman. You'd expect him to redshirt. Um, he's coming along nicely. And Kenji Christian, um, too, he's a redshirt sophomore, I believe, or redshirt freshman. Um, I think those bottom three guys, I wouldn't expect them to have an impact just because there's so much more experienced talent at the top. But with injuries and everything, you never know how it's going to play out. Yeah, Jalen Holston hasn't contributed quite as much as my OG Virginia Tech fans will remember this guy, Tony Gregory, did. But he feels like a Tony Gregory type guy where he didn't really contribute until really late in his career because he was buried on the depth chart behind really talented guys. That's not really how Jalen Holston's career has gone because the running back room has just been in flux for basically the entirety of his career at Virginia Tech. But it does feel like he could have an impact here later in his career. Before we get into a record prediction, there's the, the big question I have. Offensive tackle, the depth, it's going to be fresh, right? Like, I don't, that's the biggest concern I have with this team is that if either one of the top options at offensive tackle get hurt, like Virginia Tech's depth, forget unproven, it's it's unproven and young, and like real young, like as young as you can get in college. Uh, yeah, and if it was a school like Alabama, I don't think they'd really be complaining. No, playing no a true freshman. Right. Yeah, at offensive tackle right now. At on the left tackle, you have Silas Jamsey, who's who's been around Virginia Tech for forever. Then you have Parker Clements at right tackle, and those two are are really really strong tackles. Behind them is where things get interesting. Um, in the two deep, Xavier Chaplin, a true freshman, who is a he's a beast. But he's a true freshman, and, I mean, he's going to see the field this year. That's just kind of the way it is, just because they'll need to rotate through guys. But he's a true freshman. Um, he, he's a, a monster, but he has never played in a college game before. He, You're not going to throw him in there, right? Well, who knows what happens with an injury. Um, there, are, there are a couple other handful of guys, Bob Schick, um, Brody Meadows there are a couple Johnny Garrett there are a couple other guys that that are practicing at tackle but but Chaplin's kind of been the one to stand out just because pretty highly recruited player um and he's he's massive he's like 300 pounds in them you know like three 350 like six five like just an absolute unit um I'm curious to see what happens when Virginia Tech is up against Old Dominion who comes out as that that who comes out, out as the two tackles I assume one will be Chaplin um you know I don't who's the other guy gonna be that that second unit as a whole that is the one thing that is might make or break Virginia Tech season is offensive line depth if, if there's an injury and not as much at, at center of guard but especially at tackle um there's just no experience there outside of the front two guys um, and you know, if you have an offensive line injuries, we, we see them all the time. I mean, Virginia tech had, had plenty of injuries last year, whether it was Brock Hoffman, Silas Janzi, Parker Clemens. I mean, the like the list goes on of injuries just from last year. Um, okay. Now they're, now you're coming into a new season with no depth. Imagine if one of those guys goes out in the old dominion game and can't come back in that it's just old dominion, but you're gotta you gotta play probably a true freshman there it's it's not great and and that's kind of the one area i again that i think will define virginia tech season because if virginia tech can come up with a 
a third left, a third tackle that can be competent there um, and not, you know, not get absolutely steamrolled. I, I think that will be a lifesaver in a lot of aspects, but that development has yet to be seen. And the reason why is because it's a young guy, it's a true freshman. Um, and across the board it, there, it's young guys who, who have never played collegiate snaps before. So um, how Joe, Joe Rudolph develops that offensive line is going to be interesting, but that's probably going to make or break Virginia Tech season. And that's just the bottom line, because if you, you know, if you're going up against ACC schools and uh, ACC defensive lines, and you have guys who have never played collegiate snaps like before. Pitt, like Pitt, for example, <laughs> like we're going to run out like seven or eight deep up front. They're all really good. Pitt or NC State or even a guy, a team like Miami, who always has talent up there, just, to, you know, they just can't always put it to use. It's going to be very interesting to see how Virginia Tech rotates the offensive line. But, I mean, Joe Rudolph, he came from Wisconsin. He knows exactly what he's doing. But this is, again, we talked about at the beginning, and this, I guess this is kind of a good good loop around or way to, way to close the circle Justin Fuente at offensive tackle. He had Wyatt Teller. Brent Pride does not have a Wyatt Teller. You know, he is talent, but he doesn't have a Wyatt Teller at at tackle. Didn't inherit that. Yes. And and there's just so much of a lack of depth there. Justin Fuente never had to deal with that. Um, You know, a guy, we were on a panel a couple weeks ago. Jonathan McLaughlin was, was, he was on the panel. He was a tackle or a guard, I guess. Uh, Damn he, good. He, yeah, he was a really good off, you know, he was really good offensive lineman in that Justin Fuente era that Justin Fuente inherited. There was just such a, a slew of guys. Um, there, I think that is probably the biggest area in which Justin Fuente's 2016 team has an advantage over this 2022 team. It's the offensive line, and it's no question. And again, Make or break Virginia Tech season. If you're a Virginia Tech fan, you are crossing your fingers for no offensive lineman injuries because if there are some, it's going to be a long year. Virginia Tech is not in the business of overlooking anybody given kind of their current roster situation, a first-year head coach, and kind of how they've struggled against inferior teams here over the last few years. But I look at the schedule, and in my opinion, it's – it's three different schedules wrapped in one, right? And it's funny because it just it just happens to align with the calendar. There's September, there's October, and there's November. September, kind of a mixed bag of opponents. October, no doubt the toughest stretch. November, probably the easiest stretch. You have a UVA team that Virginia Tech has, has dominated for the better part of two decades. You have a Liberty team that Virginia Tech has lost to recently, but doesn't, you know, no longer has Malik Willis. There's a Georgia Tech and Duke team in that November schedule. Those two teams might not combine for five wins this year. So November is a little bit easier than, say, October when Tech has reigning ACC Coastal Champion Pittsburgh, um, reigning ACC Champion flat out Pittsburgh, NC State, which could be could absolutely win the ACC, and then Miami with a lot of talent and now competent head coach and Mario Cristobal and a really good staff. It's kind of hard to handicap the schedule because September, I think, kind of dictates the track for Virginia Tech. You get an early, you know, the home opener is a tough opponent in Boston College with a healthy Phil Jerkovic that I think makes all the difference for them. You got 
West Virginia in week four rivalry game. Obviously, Tech gets them at home on Thursday night. Going to be a gigantic game in Blacksburg. But it's really hard to handicap things for Virginia Tech because nobody knows what the depth is going to be. Nobody knows how Virginia Tech is going is going to play in year one under Brent Pry. Expectations are that they'll be better coached. How do you see this this season kind of shaping out for Virginia Tech? What's your record prediction? Do you have like a ceiling and a floor? Kind of take this wherever you want to there. Yeah, well, I think I think like what you said, September is going to define the season. It, you know, if Virginia Tech comes out and is, is – if Virginia Tech is 3-0, and which – which is a very good possibility, and it probably should be. If Virginia Tech's three zero going to the West Virginia game, that's three wins already on the schedule, and you still have to play Georgia Tech, Duke, Liberty, and Virginia. Uh, you know, though that you're gonna, you should, in theory, win seven games, right? I, I think it, it it's so hard to judge because, and, and me personally, I'm gonna err on the side of caution and just say. I, ex- I expect – it's football. I expect there to be injuries. I expect something to happen and not go Virginia Tech's way. That's kind of just the way it's going to go. I think this is a 6-6, a six and 7-5 six, and five team. I'm, I would – if I had to predict, I would, I would go six and, lean 6-6, six and six, but I think it, it all depends. I have, I have not seen this, you know, the starting 22 go out there and play as a unit together. So, you know, I, I think it'll be interesting to, to go out and watch them you know, in Norfolk on, on September 2nd and kind of see what happens. But I think this is a team that is very capable for seven and seven and five. I think eight and four is probably the ceiling, um, you know, and five wins is probably the floor. Um, so five and seven, eight and four ceiling floor. But um, I think in general, it is going to come down to injuries, the little things, injuries, turnovers, late game situations. Remember, this is Brent Price's first year as a head coach. How does he manage big time situations? If so it is true. a, if it is a fourth down at North Carolina on October first, and Virginia Tech is three and one or, or or two and two and two or four and oh, whatever, it doesn't matter. You know what happens when you get into a fourth down situation? You know where you have to score to win the game. Uh, I'm. We just haven't seen enough of, of Brent Pry in this new role. This is new staff. The players, you know, it's the players aren't in a lot of positions completely developed. You know, there's not a ton of depth, as we've talked about. There's a lot of upside for this team, but they have to prove it, number one, first and foremost. And I think that starts, you know, it'll start at Old Dominion, uh, we'll get a, we will get a really good sense. And obviously, it's going to be a very vanilla game. But we're going to get a really good sense of just how Virginia Tech, A, approaches those games, the smaller games, which the old regime probably would have overlooked and just said, we just need to go out and get a get a win so we can move on. I don't think Brent Pry is going to do that. Brent Pry wants to go out and steamroll those guys and, and make the game over at halftime. And for a Virginia Tech fan, that, that's news to your ears because that's kind of what – That would be nice. <laughs> that's what you – it's nice. That's what, that's what – if you, you know, assuming you grew up watching Virginia Tech under Frank Beamer, that's kind of what you you grew up watching those those steamroll games. Um, but, again, you know, in October, playing Pitt, Miami, and NC State, two on the road in a four-week span, that is not fun. But But, again – if we are getting to October 15th 
and Virginia Tech is hosting Miami, and the Hokies are still relatively healthy, and they have a, a solid – the offensive line is still intact, and it's they don't have any super bad injuries. This is a team who can beat Miami, you know, but it all comes down to kind of, you know, if they get to – again, like if they get to October 27th, the Thursday night at NC State, and this is a healthy Virginia Tech team, and this is this current Virginia Tech team – I don't think that Virginia, they, Virginia Tech would win, but this is a team that could compete with NC State. But that is what seven weeks, eight weeks down the schedule, and how is Virginia Tech really going to be able to get there unscathed? Right. My predi- my prediction is, is six and six, just because I think there is going it's going to be a roller coaster, and there are going to be ups and downs. Um, you know, and even if Virginia Tech doesn't start out the season, you know, on the highest note. You've got the the backstretch to kind of to save your season. Georgia Tech, Duke, Liberty, Virginia, those are, are four opponents you should, in theory, beat. Um, so again, I I think six and six, seven and five, that that's kind of where uh, where expectations should be. But anybody, I think anybody, every, everybody who's kind of in the know, everybody who understands the situation Virginia Tech football is in, will, would probably say the same thing. You know, you I I, I have no problem. And I can totally see people leaning eight and four, you know, because just because that's that's the schedule. The schedule is not great, but you have to understand what Virginia Tech has and they don't have a lot in some areas. And as we said earlier, that's going to make or break the season. It's a flawed team in a few areas, but it's also got the potential to be a a very good team, probably Virginia Tech's best team in four or five years, which I know is saying a lot considering how bad Tech's looked recently, but I mean, I, I think the potential is there. The one thing before I let you go, you brought up the North Carolina like late game situation. You know what happens to Carolina beginning of October? I know you kind of picked that willy nilly, but like that's also probably the the most winnable game in October for Virginia Tech. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, going on the road to Pitt, a place Tech never fares well, and then yeah. going on the road to NC State, the Miami game at home is going to be interesting. It also kind of just depends on where Miami and Mario Cristobal are at that time, and where Virginia Tech is at that time because. Miami and Virginia Tech in most recent years is just a toss up, a flip of a coin. Um, but yeah, that North Carolina game, those first five games on, on the schedule are very important. The first five and the last four, the three in the middle is just kind of like, you know, throw it up in the air. They're not going to make the make or break the season just because they're probably the three best teams you're going to play. But I mean, it, it is going to be so crucial. Like that Boston college game, the season opener at home, if Virginia Tech can get a win there and start, presumably 2-0, and that is, that is a positive going forward. You got your first ACC win. You're 2-0. and You got a, a Wofford game you should be able to just walk through. You're 3-0 and going into West Virginia, and that's not a good West Virginia team. You know, that, that's not a good West Virginia team. If you're 4-0 and going into the North Carolina game, which is possible, okay, well, then it could be an eight-win season. But again, how I would temper my expectations, and if you're a Virginia Tech fan and you're saying, David, you're, you're telling me this team has the potential to win eight games? Yeah, sure. But what happens if Silas Jansey goes down against West Virginia? Then you're playing a freshman at offensive tackle right. for the next seven weeks. And that changes the trajectory. So, yep. yes. So I, I, would, I would say six and six. And I think that that is a good season for Brent Pry. Again, show that the culture and the player development are improving. Win enough games to get to a bowl game. 
You do that, it's a successful first season. Say this is the building block you use on the recruiting trail, keep recruiting Virginia hard and kind of build off of a hopefully a bowl win. Go win the bowl game, right? Yes. Yeah, I think it's funny. I asked uh, Caleb Smith uh, when we were down in Charlotte at ACC Media Days, I asked him, you know, what, are, what his goals were. And the first thing out of his mouth were, I want to win a bowl game, man. And that's something Virginia Tech hasn't won a bowl game since the Belk Bowl back in 2016. 2016. Fuente's first year. Like, I think getting the bowl games is great, but but yeah, I think I think just in general, there's a lot of room for Virginia Tech to improve. And this this is a a team who ha- they they have a lot of potential, very very good potential. But you have to stay healthy, and you can't make dumb mistakes. And it also is going to come down to this is again. This is a first year staff. This is a first year staff put together. They haven't worked out all the kinks yet. And what happens when Brett Pry gets in a late game situation? You know, is he going to? I assume he'll trust Tyler Bowen to call stuff. But like offensively, you know, is Brent Pry going to want to say in what happens? I don't think they might have not even thought about that yet. So. Right. Just right. how, how just how it goes and how it plays out through this throughout the season is going to be interesting, and that's why I would say temper your expectations. We think the coaching staff's better, like everybody thinks the coaching staff's better. You don't know until Toe meets Leonard. Like, you they, don't know. He, they haven't coached a game yet. Yeah, they haven't coached a game yet. Um, David, appreciate it, man. Oh, but uh, before I let you go, I'm going seven and five, but I'm I, I don't want to make this too boring, but I'm I literally agree with you on the floor and ceiling. I think anywhere from five to eight wins yeah. is in the realm of possibility. Totally dependent on health, really, of the offensive tackles. Because even if even if Grant Wells gets hurt, Jason Brown has won games in the SEC. I think they'll be okay enough at quarterback. It's it's really offensive tackle. I think it's gonna make a regular season. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. Yeah, so I'm going seven and five. We'll see what happens. Uh, David, before I let you go, man, let all the listeners know where they can find your stuff, find you on Twitter, text sideline, pump all your stuff out there. So, and, and I'll tag you and everything, of course, as the podcast goes up. Yes. Sure so, yeah. Well, day. first of all, I appreciate you having me on. And this has been fun. It's nice chopping up tech football. I can't believe this is the last week of fall camp. We've got two media opportunities and then it's going to be game week, which is uh, very interesting. I'm sure Brent Price sitting there going, how the hell is it August already? Um, you can find us at techsideline.com. You can become a subscriber today. Um, first month is free if you want to join us. Um, uh, it's $10 a month, but you can get a first month free and money back guarantee. If you don't enjoy it, we'll give you your money back. Um, you can find us uh, on social media at Tech Sideline. We have a Tech Sideline podcast you can find on YouTube or wherever you else you get your podcasts. We've had Brent Pry, Mike Young on recently. Um, so we've got a lot of a lot of fun content planned for the season there. You can follow me on Twitter at the real D kind um, and yeah, Mike, I appreciate you having me on. I'm excited to excited to, I appreciate chatting tech football with you and I'm excited for uh, what is hopefully a very entertaining Virginia tech football season. Um, and, and ACC man as a whole, I'm excited. I know this, this is an ACC podcast, so I have to say this real quick. The ACC is probably the best quarterback conference in the country this year. Agree, agree, 100%. The football across the board might not be fantastic, but you are going to get some very fun quarterback matchups. Uh, hopefully Sam Hartman can come back and, and he's going to be all right. But, I mean, just the list goes on. Tyler Van Dyke, Brennan Armstrong, Devin Leary, even DJ Uongagale. 
um, Grant Wells. I mean, there, there's so much talent uh, when it comes to quarterbacks, and that's kind of you know a lot of what makes or breaks for you know college football teams. So um, I'm very interested to to watch the final year of ACC Coastal Chaos and just see where it takes us. Who's your? I know you're a voting media member. You were at ACC Kickoff. Uh, who is your ACC champion and why? Real quick. Uh, I picked NC State, um, and I, I have Devin Leary as my player of the year. Um, it, I think NC State just returns so much talent across the board. You you name a position, and NC State probably has a player returning there. Um, yep. Devin Devin Leary is a really really good quarterback, and I just think. I don't know if there's necessarily anybody on the coastal side that can really compete with them. And so it's really down to Clemson. And, yeah. and from my perspective, Clemson has a new offensive coordinator and a new defensive coordinator. And as a quarterback who has high, had high expectations, but has yet to prove himself. And so we're, we're kind of still seeing how that's going to pan out. NC state, essentially the entire coaching staff and a good portion of each position group has stuck together. It's a, it's a very tight knit team. Um, Devin Leary has a ton of weapons. I've got NC state just because I think it is the most technically sound team in a conference. I think you could go Clemson. I pick Pitt. I, I pick to win the coastal division just because Pitt's defense is going to be really good. Yes. They don't have Kenny Pickett anymore, but, but they will, uh, Pat Narduzzi is great at developing players. And I just think North Carolina, Virginia tech and Miami, they're either, a complete mess or they're going to be this season or they're still trying to figure it out. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of the way I, I see things. And I think NC state has, has a high ceiling. I think NC state could be really good. Yeah. I mean, they could win 11. I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think NC state, um, NC state's really good. I have Clemson winning the ACC. I think they bounce back. I think DJU will play better. He had some off the field stuff going on last year. I know is. um, had a had a precarious family situation, so I think yeah. he's going to be in better headspace. That was that was underreported, I think, which I understand because it's personal stuff. But that was yeah. underreported a little bit. And I think it was a reason why he didn't necessarily take as many steps forward as a lot of people expected him to. I think he'll be better. There are questions with Clemson, plenty of them with the coaching staff and everything else, but their defense will be really good. And then I like Pitt in the Coastal as well, returning entire defense. Offense will be still really good, even though there's no Kenny Pickett or Jordan Addison. There are playmakers everywhere on that offense, like highly recruited guys, like four-star talent at skill positions. I think they should be pretty good. Um, and I think they're more of a sure thing than Miami, who has a talented quarterback, but they're still kind of a mess on the offensive line. There's just too many questions for me with Miami in year one. But I think you can go either way. Clemson, NC State, I think it's a coin flip. And I think whoever wins the Atlantic is going to win the conference anyway. So that's yeah. where I'm at with it. For sure. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I think as far as Clemson goes, I'm more I'm more concerned about uh again, first, you know, first year offensive coordinator, first year defensive coordinator. How does how does that how does that look? You know, yeah, well, same thing. I mean, and and look, how many other teams in the ACC are in that same boat right now, right? Virginia Tech, Virginia are in that same boat. Um, so many teams, whether it's not it's whether it's not like first year coordinators or just coordinators who have never worked with that head coach or the, that group of players. Um, I mean, it just across the board in the ACC, there are, a, there, there's a lot of question marks because of new coaching staff members. And I think that just makes it more chaotic, which is what we live for here in the ACC. It's going to be wild. It's going to be a wild year, no doubt. 
David, appreciate you coming on me. We'll definitely have you on again soon. Maybe get an update on Virginia Tech at some point this season. Appreciate it, man. Sounds good, man. I appreciate it.